You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Applying for jobs can be a dehumanizing process for anyone. You are reduced to what an arbitrary person or hiring committee sees as your value to a company. Who you are as a person doesn't matter as much as what you can do, how fast you can do it, and for how much. Or at least, who you are shouldn't matter to a company, but sometimes it matters too. So how's the job hunt going? Well, it's really hard and some days it sucks, but I'm still trying to make it work. That's a man named Franklin. He is one of several job seekers with disabilities or neurodivergence featured on season four of a show called Employable Me. For people like Franklin, the challenge is not getting employers to see you for who you are instead of what you're worth to their business. It's the exact opposite. People with disabilities, it will not shock you to learn, are massively underemployed in Canada. Precisely because so many businesses see hiring them as an act of charity or tokenism, rather than a chance to snag money-making talent from an undervalued pool. They don't see them as a good business move. So what do Canadians with disabilities and neurodivergence have to prove to get hired? What do they bring to jobs that others can't? How can employers shift their preconceptions enough to understand that they don't want to be a charity hire and they don't want to be stuffed in a back room or a cubicle? And how many more clear success stories do we need to finally get there? Jordan Heath-Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Katie Lafferty is a producer on Employable Me, season four of which launches today, Wednesday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Hey, Katie. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you start? Um, because uh, I am kind of ashamed to admit I didn't know this show existed till I learned about season four, and and I've watched a couple episodes now, and it's really insightful, and I just... Uh, I guess I'm glad that it's a hit now, but I want to know where the idea came from at the beginning and what you guys were trying to achieve. Absolutely. So I think it was five years ago that we started in development on this series, and it's actually a BBC format series that we brought over to Canada with AMI. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the main focus of this series, um, you know, we're, we're following people with physical disabilities and neurological conditions who are trying to enter the workforce. All of our job seekers have unique talents and abilities, but have had a really hard time um, getting their foot in the door. And, and so the real purpose of this series is to, you know, educate employers and the general public on what is a very untapped job market of, of people who could bring so much to the workforce. Can you give me some examples of how um, underappreciated and underemployed uh, people who are neurodivergent or people with disabilities are? Absolutely. I mean, I think I noticed it the most when I started casting for this show. It, it was one of those situations where I thought, Okay, let's see let's see if we can cast this show. Who knows? It's a really really interesting and important concept, but are we going to be able to find job seekers who really fit the description? And uh, both, you know, fortunately for the series and unfortunately for the current state, there were 
So many people in this position, you know, the amount of people that we had referred to us. And once the show started to become a bit known, people reaching out to us, telling us their, their stories. And I believe it's something like, you know, 37% of people with disabilities across Canada are unemployed. And it's, you know, all of these people that that we work with on the show have so much to offer. And, And I really feel like, employers are missing out. What are the barriers there um, that they tell you that they've faced when trying to find work? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with the interview process. That's a very common challenge among our job seeker- seekers. The traditional interview process, sitting across from someone at a desk, the kind of traditional human resources process can be very challenging for our job seekers because they don't always express themselves the best in that capacity. So that's certainly been a challenge. And I also think that employers can be intimidated by accommodations and, you know, what often are very, you know, easy, easy to make accommodations um, are ones that, that employers just go, you know what, it's too much for us to think about. And I think a third is this idea of a lot of our job seekers have wanted the opportunity to work from home. Um, You know, Commuting to work can be a big challenge for some of our job seekers. You know, anxiety about being in an office place can be a big challenge for some of our job seekers. And what I hope the pandemic has done is open the door a little bit for this idea that many people can work productively from home. Can you explain how you begin uh, the process with each of your job seekers? Because you and them really seem to find um, some incredible talents that, you know, somehow have never been valued by their potential employers before. Yeah. So it's, it's been a little bit different this season, truthfully, right. because of the, of the pandemic. Um, you know, I usually start either by getting recommendations from organizations who work in this field, trying to help people with disabilities and neurological conditions find employment. And they can often send us recommendations for people who have been trying for so long and haven't been able to get their foot in the door. Sometimes I just, you know, I find people, um, you know, whether it's through, you know, so social media or other interviews that they've done. And then we always start by having a chat. I try to get a really good sense of their background and their interests and their talents. And then we usually move on to an in-person casting process where I really get to sit with the family and the job seeker and get to know them really well. And, And I will say that a lot of the job matching that happens happens as we shoot and get to know them better the crew really knows our job seekers better than anyone they're spending full shoot days with them and the family so there's a lot of communication between set and the production office in terms of really figuring out what that perfect employment fit is for our job seeker can you give me some examples of you know some some talents that may have if an employer was being stereotypical or to your point was just kind of concerned about how to make accommodations talents that you know would be a real asset that are often um maybe written off as part of that neurodivergence or uh or disability yeah well you know we have an amazing job seeker this season who has always dreamed of being a museum tour guide and he has a 
a photographic memory, there is not a historical fact that this individual does not know. Now, you know, he has struggled in the past in the job interview process because he feels that sometimes maybe he overshares or he talks too much um, because, you know, he has such a depth of knowledge. So I think that, you know, this season it was amazing because he got linked up with an employer who said, this is what we want. We want someone, especially now that they're relying on virtual tours, we want someone who is going to speak with this endless enthusiasm about history and be able to just talk to be able to sit in front of a you know a zoom camera and speak with confidence and and our job seeker can do that what kinds of stereotypes have you and these job seekers encountered um when you go and hook up with potential employers because i've definitely seen some of them you know describe some experiences they've had in the hiring process that have been kind of dehumanizing maybe that's true. And I think one of the, the common stereotypes that we hear with our job seekers is that they, when they go for a job, there's this assumption that maybe they want to be a bit hidden in the workplace. Um, you know, perhaps if they go for a retail job, um, you know, they've been pushed towards working in the back when a lot of our job seekers want to be working in customer service. They want to be on the floor working with customers directly. And a lot of them have had trouble landing a position where they can be really front facing with the public. And, you know, it's just not the case that all of our job seekers with autism, for example, want to be working independently at a desk. A lot of them really want to be around people and working in a team environment. Why does that happen? Why do employers try to try to do that to them? You know, I think a lot of it is a lack of of perhaps education about disabilities and neurological conditions and I hate to say this, maybe a little bit of a, of a fear, um, you know, and having not worked directly with people with disabilities and neurological conditions. And I think that once employers open their minds and start creating a more inclusive workplace, they'll find that it just all it does is add so much to to the environment. So maybe there is a a little bit of fear. I know there's also been fear from employers of a position not working out. And I I always urge the, you know, the employers to to accept that that's real life and and you know jobs don't work out for all of us sometimes. And I think that our job seekers are just looking for the opportunity to be able to prove themselves. The big story will be back in just a minute. What kinds of things do these job seekers often hear after an interview? Um, And I'm asking this because I heard a couple of them describe a, a very specific experience of rejection, which is like the super nice but very clear rejection. You know, the one I feel like our job seekers talk about a lot is not hearing anything. And I think that one really, really hurts. Um, Some of them are able to get to the interview process because they have these incredible qualifications and they get to the interview 
they put their best foot forward and then they never hear anything and they don't know why. And so I think that's certainly a common challenge from our job seekers. Another one is just, you know, even getting to the interview, it's a really intimidating process. It's, you know, you're on your computer trying to apply for jobs. Do you disclose your disability in your cover letter? Do you wait until you're in the interview? Do you wait until you're offered the job? So there's also a lot of, uh, of challenges regarding that. I want to ask you uh, from the point of view of the potential employers, um, because this is one thing that struck me. How do you know when you found an employer or how do you get through to an employer to sort of break through that difference between seeing it as like charity and giving someone uh, who's disabled a chance versus like there's an actual chance here to get someone who would be really great for your company, like to see it from that point of view? Yes, there's certainly the the moral, you know, the moral and ethical importance of hiring people with disabilities and neurological conditions. I think that we can we can all agree on that. But but what we hope the show has done is say, let's let's look beyond that. Let's let's look into people's real ability and talents and what they can bring to your company and what they can do to help your company flourish and grow. And I would say that as the show has gone on. Thankfully, it's become easier and easier to find willing employers to participate in the show. There's a big part of me that hopes that that's because they've seen the episodes and have really been able to watch how um, some of these job seekers can really transform these companies and organizations. And so I think as the conversation opens up more, certainly now in 2021, there is more awareness about the importance of hiring people with disabilities and neurological conditions beyond meeting a quota, looking at, you know, opening your mind to how you do the interview process, really thinking about accommodations. Every person needs an accommodation of some sort. Um, So I, you know, I hope employers will be more open to providing those. How much of that work do you do for the employers versus how much is done just uh, between the job seeker and the employer themselves? Yes. So we are, you know, this is a television series. There's a, there's, you know, two producers who spend a lot of time reaching out to employers to get the conversation started. And then after that, a a lot of it is really on the job seeker. This is, this is documentary. So we never go into a situation where we say, this person's going to be hired. Um, we, what we're able to do is have a talk with the employer one-on-one where we can really talk about this person's, you know, skills and abilities. We send over their resume and then the rest is up to the job seeker. And, what I find is amazing is that the job seeker has to do that on camera. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a job interview is intimidating enough, but our job seekers have to do a job interview on camera surrounded by a crew of people. And what they have done on this show proves to me how underestimated some of them have been. Do you go back in and check in with people from, from past seasons and uh, how they're doing? always. Some of the people on the show have become real friends of mine, friends of the crew, friends of the production team. These are people that I care about uh, deeply and I really want to see succeed because I know, I know their talents and abilities. So we keep in touch with a lot of them. And, you know, 
I, like I said before, it's it's real life. Some people have been in the same job since season one, so have been working five years at a company and doing brilliantly. Some, you know, some of the job positions didn't work out, and some were able to move on to other positions because of the show. We've actually even had employers reach out to us after watching the series, going, "Oh my goodness, I need to get in touch with this person because." They'd be amazing at editing my book. Mm-hmm. So so that's been really, really nice. And that seems to be happening more and more as the series goes on. Just to quickly get back to um, the issue of, of making employers see this as a financial decision and not um, charity or something, you know, that they're supposed to do to be a good citizen. How do you lay that out baldly in terms of, you know, these are the accommodations you would have to make, but these are the reasons that, you know, person X would be so much better for your business than anything else. Yes. I always reference an individual named Mark Wafer. He was probably one of the first people that I met with when we started developing this series. He has hearing loss and he owned, I believe it was six Tim Hortons franchises. Uh, you know, he created this very strong business case for hiring people with disabilities. He decided when he started to buy his franchises, he was going to hire as many people as he could with disabilities and, and just really look at how it affected him business-wise. And he found that his business grew massively the more people with disabilities that he hired. And a lot of that had to do with people uh, never leaving. He found that most of the time when he hired someone with a disability, that they were, you know, the best employees that he would ever have. Uh, They were always on time for work. And so he's just started finding that like, this is this is a better business model for me. And his business just kept growing. So I always say, Look at look up Mark Wafer because I think he really presents the best argument for that case. The last thing that I want to ask you, and I'm glad that you've been on the show since the very beginning, is you know what you've personally learned and what your own preconceptions were as you were developing this show, and you know now that you're on season four uh, and have worked with so many job seekers, what have you learned from them? I'll tell you this. I had never worked on camera with anyone with a disability or neurological condition before. This was the first show that I had ever done that. Um, and, you know, through it, I have learned so much. Um, you know, I, I would, if I was running a company now or the next show that I go on to produce, it will be a priority for me to hire someone with a disability or neurological condition. It will. It's completely changed how I think of a workforce. And they've also, you know, I think a lot of our job seekers have taught me the importance of really owning who you are and and going for what you want. We have a job seeker this season who is a visual artist with vision loss, which is a pretty complicated Hmm. sell. (laughs) She graduated from OCAD. She's so talented. She has never had a job in the art field because she didn't feel comfortable disclosing. And so she often would end up doing jobs as a dishwasher or, you know, hiding a little bit behind her vision loss. And what happened through the show this season 
was she started really owning who she was. She's like, you know what? She went into her job interview. She disclosed for the first time ever. She's like, I am, I am a visual artist with vision loss, but you know what? I have a different perspective than anyone else on this team. And I think seeing her really own who she was and seeing the employers go, wait, you're bringing something really neat here. You're going to tell our community that art is for everyone. Art is accessible to anyone. You don't Mm -hmm. have to fit a certain mold. And so I think it makes me watching our job seekers do that and being brave enough to do that on camera has made me just really recognize the, the importance of just owning who you are and going for what you want, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense to everyone. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Katie Lafferty, a producer on Employable Me. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. As always, email us thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And of course, we are as always in your favorite podcast player, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music. Your smart speaker doesn't matter. Anywhere that plays digital audio, you can probably get us. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.